Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and today we've got something really special for you. My guest is Simone Canigo. Did I get that right, Simone? Canigo? Close. Canigo. Canigo. All right. My guest today is Simone Canigo. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, she is going to really give us a jolt of motivation. She lives an ordinary life filled with extraordinary moments. As the mother to both dogs and children, she's an entrepreneur and now a keynote speaker and an author. She splits her time between her family, her businesses, and personal growth. She's realized that the small choices she makes every day to do good have actually, they actually have the power to inspire others. In her new best-selling book, The Extraordinary, Unordinary You, she details her journey of adopting three of her six children, her climb of, get this, her climb of Mount Kilimanjaro, and all of the funny, scary, and inspiring stories that came along the way. Simone believes deeply that Changing the way you see yourself can help the world around you change. That's a great concept. Can't wait to talk about that. Through her book, she hopes to show people how they are unordinary in the best possible way. She knows that through these realizations, people can redefine what they believe about themselves and they are capable of impacting the world the way they were created to impact the world. So Simone is going to help us see that you were created to have a huge impact on the world. Please join me in welcoming Simone to the show. All right. So I don't even know where to start, but I want to hear about, so explain to me how you came to this realization, Simone. First, thanks for being here. Explain to me how you came to this realization that each of us has the ability to be unordinary and we all have something special in ourselves to share with the world. How did this come to you? So first of all, thank you so much for um, having me on your show today. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, I think that, you know, I'm a mom of six. I've gone through my life thinking that, you know, for a long time that the things I did really didn't make an impact. You know, I'm raising kids, I'm changing diapers, I'm cooking dinner, like what is that really doing? Um, And I really did have a moment where I was like, you know, everything that we do impacts the people around us. Um, And it really made me realize how important those little things are. And so I, you know, decided to, you know, I've done a lot of cool things in my life, right? Like, um, and especially after I had that moment where I thought, you know, like, this is, you have one life, like, go for it and, and realize that, you know, you are inspiring the people around you. You know, I'm thinking I'm going through my life, I'm raising my kids. And when people would say to me, wow, you're so inspiring, I'm like, really, me? And um, that was a big turning point for me realizing that those little things really do make a difference to the people around me all right so did you so i want to i want to talk about um kilimanjaro tell me um was that something you always wanted to do or did you wake up one day and say let me go find a really big mountain like how did that how did that happen Um, I can't say it was originally a bucket list item. It became a bucket list item once I really started looking at it. Um, A friend of ours had climbed it the year before, 
and he he climbed it with the Livestrong Foundation. And he had obviously the most amazing time, life changing. And he called my husband and said, hey, Rob, do you have any interest in doing this? The way my story goes is Rob said, one, two, three, no, thank you, call Simone. Um, he doesn't agree with me on that, but um, you know, and I, you know, I always like challenges. Um, I like to challenge myself mentally, physically, and that was a huge challenge. And so, you know, and again, when I commit myself to something, I go all in. And for me, the fact that it was a challenge mixed with philanthropy, I really couldn't have thought of a better way to do something like that. Um, so and, what was the yeah. philanthropic element? Tell, tell us about that. So we were raising money for the Livestrong Foundation. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Right. So this was yeah. Livestrong too. Okay, great. Yep, yep. Sorry. It was, the same, it was the same trip just the year later. And yeah, we raised money for the Livestrong Foundation. Um, I traveled with complete strangers, didn't know any of them. And everybody was there to you know, really either they were cancer survivors or they were doing this, you know, climb on behalf of a family member or a friend that, you know, had cancer or, or who had passed away from cancer. Um, so it was really an impactful, you know, beyond just climbing Kilimanjaro to, to, to climb it with 16 strangers and become like a really close family. It was really, it was an amazing, um, amazing experience, but also a great um, leadership experience, learning how do you, how do you work with other people on, you know, as you're trying to summit 19,000 feet. Right, right. So talk about, uh, I, I really, I want to get into this a little bit because I, I really am curious about the entire, the entire experience. So you, uh, I mean, were you living, you, li you live now in Sarasota, were you living in Sarasota at the time? Or, yeah, I so, love, so did I, you go yeah. to MIA? Did you go to Miami and fly to like, you know, uh, Africa? Like what, what happens? Yeah, we, um, I actually don't even remember. I've been, I've, I've traveled all over the world. So thinking of that trip, I think I flew out of, of Atlanta into Tanzania and, wow. um, yep. And you know, it was a, an all day experience just getting there and sure. then trying to get accustomed, you know, like to the, the time difference and, um, you know, it was, and I had trained really hard. I mean, I only trained for about six months because that was kind of like when I decided it was about six months before the trip. Um, but it was the best shape of my life. And I used to go around, they have these elevation training masks. I don't know if you've ever seen them. It kind of looks like, um, you know, you, you wear this mask, you can adjust the filters on the side to, to, to build your lung capacity. And so, you know, it was, Again, amazing experience. Yeah, it's a well. So in competitive sports, we would call it like an aerobic denier. They it uh, it denies you the full complement of oxygen that comes in, so that you like it's it's it simulates for athletes. It simulates training at ele elevation, right? I would imagine it's the same thing. So how did you tra how do you train? Do you did you did mm -hmm. you like run? Did you go to the gym and you put on this this elevation training mask while you're working out? How do, how is the what's the training to summit Kilimanjaro? Yeah, you know, I live in Florida where, um, you know, we have zero elevation. We have like one, two hills in town. So yeah. um, I would do those with my, the biggest thing was training in my boots so that, you know, I didn't have to suffer with blisters and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would, I was at the gym every day. I worked out at a boxing gym and I wore that mask like in the boxing gym while I was doing boxing classes. And then I would put the uh, treadmill to, you know, as high of an elevation as I could get on it and just keep walking. And, you know, it, it, it worked really well. I was definitely didn't feel like I was struggling when I was there. Trust me, it was hard. Yeah, it was, yeah. you know, one of the hardest things I've done, but you know. 
And you, so your, so your, uh, your legs are conditioned now. Your lungs are conditioned. All that's left is the is the mental conditioning, right? What did you do to prepare yourself mentally? How did you? Because you've never, I'm assuming you never climbed a mountain before, right? Like even a small mountain. So how do you? Like you're going to be up 19,000 feet. There's going to be altitude issues. Maybe there's height issues too. You're with a group of strangers. How do you condition yourself for that mentally? Yeah, I guess that's probably the, the hardest piece. And I think for most people, it's the hardest piece. But from the beginning, um, people would say to me, do you have any doubts that you won't that you won't make it? And I was like, no, I mean, I'm not even putting that in my head. Like my my I started this because I want to summit Kilimanjaro, you know, so I'm going to do everything I can to get there. Again, being a mom of six, like I have pretty thick skin and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the best training. <laughs> I get beat up every day, <laughs> every day. Um, but, but truthfully, it really is. It really kind of puts you in that mindset that you can get through anything that you, you know, want to get through. And that's the other thing. Do you want to do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, I really wanted to do this. It wasn't because someone else wanted me to, it was because I wanted to. So that was kind of, you know, my mindset. And I knew that I was, there were going to be struggles that I would have to overcome, um, during this climb. But you know, I, that was, and that, that's pretty much how I am. When I set my mind to something, I'm going to do it. So. All right. So uh, you you decide you're going to do this. You start training. That's great. Do you go to the doctor and get a checkup to make sure that, like, the altitude and everything is going to be okay? And then do you get have to get special vaccinations and stuff because you're going to Africa? Like, what, what happens? Yeah. So, yes, I went to the doctor. Um, and, and, again, the, the biggest thing thing is that it's not just building your lung capacity it's how you react at elevation because it is a chemical change that your body has to you know work on less oxygen mm -hmm. so for some people it's more of a struggle struggle than others and you don't know until you get there so for me i didn't have a horrible struggle when i was up at elevation so that worked to my benefit um but I did, yeah, I had to get a physical and I really didn't have to get any vaccinations because we um, we adopted two children from Ethiopia. So I had had everything already that I would have needed. So to you do it. went, you've, you had been to Africa previously. So you you were set, you knew and you knew, Absolutely. you know, that's got to have that's got to have that previous experience of traveling to that continent has to have made you at least a little comfortable that, hey, listen, I've been to Africa before. It's not like I'm, you know, going to Antarctica. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've been, you know, in a similar uh, in a similar environment. I know what the flight is going to be like. I know how long sort of it's going to take and everything. Right. Did that did that in any way lay some of the groundwork for this for you? Did it make you a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, again, when we traveled to Ethiopia, I was used to not having a toilet before. Mm, okay. <laughs> Say those kind of kinds of funny things where, you know, not nothing that I experienced was truly shocking because I had been to developing countries before. So, um, okay. and I think that does help your your mindset because you you know what to expect. All right. So, you get you go over there, right? How long the flight is the flight is like all day. How long does it okay. take you to get from here to Tanzania? I think it was about 24 hours total because you have to, you, you stop over. Um, so it was about 24 hours. All right. So it, you, you're day. in, you get to Tanzania and then you show up at like the airport. I mean, that's the, there's no airport at the base of the mountain. So you got to travel, right? Like on the ground or something. I, I envision like a bus with like bags strapped to the top and chickens and goats. But I know that's not like it, but you know, so you got to travel to, I guess you're the, the place where you meet everybody else, right? Yeah. So first we stayed a night at a hotel just to, 
you know, get used to get used to each other. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, you travel to um, the national park and that's where you start the hike because you know, it's it's not just going to the base of the mountain. You have to actually get get to the base of the mountain, which is miles and miles and miles of, of trekking. And so, um, you know, it's a it's a long it's a long journey. But it's kind of nice that you're not instantly going <laughs> you know, <up>. extremely <laughs> uphill. You know, the, the the hardest part is the last night where you um, that's where you go from fifteen thousand feet to nineteen thousand three hundred and forty one feet. Mm. And um, so that's that's a huge that's a huge um, piece of, you know, that, and that's why it's a struggle is to get that last bit in. Sure. So, sure. So, all right. So you, you, you're what you go, you walk all these miles, you hike all these miles to get to the base of the mountain. And then is there like a base camp there where you kind of chill out for, you know, overnight and then you, and then you start your ascent. Is that how it works? Yeah. You stay, um, we stayed at that camp one night and then you actually start, it's kind of like you're there like a day and a half because you, start in the middle of the night. I think we started at midnight or one o'clock in the morning so that you get to the first summit at right when the sunrise is happening. Oh, and, wow. you know, so it's, and we were honestly, we were really fortunate. We didn't have extreme snow while we were doing that, you know, going to the summit. We, um, I want to say I got off a bit easy because I watched the pictures and the and the video from my friend the year before and they had rain and snow and you know it just adds that extra piece that you know you, your mindset has to put you push you through those pieces where it's you know trust me it was really cold but to have you know uh two feet of snow to be hiking through as well i think makes it takes it to a different level yeah so how long from the time you leave the base camp until uh 19,300 and some odd feet how, how long does it take you to get from the base camp to the top hmm, i think it took us so the first um there's like the first summit there's actually three summits and so when we went made it to the absolute top i want to say it was probably uh nine hours, 10 hours around there. Um, and then you come back down again. You can only stay up there for so long because, you know, obviously of the altitude, we were up there for less than an hour before we had to um, come back down again because some people really did struggle with the altitude. Their lips were blue. They were having, you know, they check your, you know, oxygen sure. oxygenation levels and, you know, people were struggling. So and so, so from from the from the base camp all the way up to the top is only nine or ten hours. That's that doesn't seem like it's overwhelming. But you had already walked a full day. You had already hiked a full day to get to the base camp. So you're you know you and you take one night's rest and then you're and then you're heading up, right? It was actually three days. Three days. Okay. Um, it was a total of five days up, two days down. So, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. So coming um, down, where do you? So you camp out the same place coming down that you that you can't one of the places that you camped out going up is that? Um. Yeah. That you stay. There's one that you stay at. Um. There's, but basically you're you're full speed coming down. Going up, you're much slower, trying to kind of conserve your energy for for the peak. But yeah. um, on the way down, like we. We literally came down from the mountain. We we like took a break for about an hour, and then we started, you know, going down even more. So, um, and it was again a lot of hours, but not like it was going up. Sure, sure. And you're and you got the adrenaline going because you just got to the top of Kilimanjaro. I mean, yes. You know, how many people in the world can say that? So you're all excited, you're happy, and everybody's cheerful. Um, talk about uh, the you know the uh, the journey itself. Is it 
like a like a path through the woods with snow or is it like are you going around cliffs or how you know how crazy is it yeah so you go through you know the the entire journey you go through the different climate zones which is really cool because you start in you know a tropical zone and then when you finish you're in the ice cap Mm -hmm. and so um yeah that especially the last bit um what's really interesting is that you know we're doing this in the dark so we have our headlamp you can't really see you know, you're, you're just following the person in front of you, right? So you, you can't see exactly what you're doing. But then when you come down that next morning, you're like, Ooh, I went up through that because it's, you know, obviously there's, you're traversing your, there's tons of tiny little turns. You're climbing over rocks here. And then when you see how thin the path is, when the light comes up, you're like, Ooh, I just walked over that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, Definitely, I think if it were light when I was doing it, it might have been a little bit more intimidating uh, than than in the dark because you don't see it all. So how how narrow is it on the way on the way up? Are you talking about five feet or is it ten feet wide or how how narrow is it as you're as you're going through some of these paths? There are certain areas that are probably only about three feet. Oh my um, gosh! But but most of them are are bigger than that. But there are the areas where we're like, okay, you have to be really careful as you're taking this this turn here. Um, and they tell you, I mean, you have a guide, you have, you know, and, and every person is passing back the information from the person in front of them of, you know, where to step, where not to step. Um, and so yeah, it's, so, it's I mean, that intricate that somebody has to tell you don't step to the right. <laughs> yeah, well, there's I mean, again, there's like boulders everywhere. So you have to figure out, you know, where where you're putting your foot where, you know, they've done this many times. Sure, sure. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely areas, some of it, not so much, but there's definitely areas where, you know, that you have to be really careful where you step. Yeah. And is it, is it like, a, are you looking and it's like, you know, 3000 feet, 5,000 feet down, like the path and then straight down. <laughs> so there, there, the one area that had the really skinny piece, um, that was a pretty, I can't tell you how it wasn't like 3000 feet, but it was hundreds of feet down. Yeah, it was no good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, no it good. was like, my palms are sweating. Yeah, You're telling yeah. me my palms are sweating. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it was 300 feet or 3000 feet, if you fell, it, you fell. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah 30 feet is too yeah. much for me. Nope. No good. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So, yeah. It, again, it was like, it's a challenge, right? Like that's the whole thing. You're challenging yourself mentally, physically, emotionally. Sure. And yeah, you're right. When you're done, you're like, wow, I just did this. And one of the coolest parts for me was that I actually, as I started, as we got to the first summit, I went to take a picture of the sun, the sunrise and I had cell service. So I was able to call home and talk to my kids and say, I made it to the first summit. And that oh, was such a, awesome. such a cool experience. Yeah. yeah. They were like, woo. Yeah. So. Who, is the, who is the ingenious capitalist that put cell service on Kilimanjaro? <laughs> I am. I think I just got lucky. I'm not exactly sure. I was the only phone that got it. But, um, you know, I was there's like, here, a, everybody use my phone to call. Yeah, there's a there's a commercial for you right there. Oh, that's yeah, so, exactly. That's so great. So what did you uh, and did you did you go with your husband or did you go by yourself or? No, I was by myself. It so it's um, really kind of introspective. I mean, you met people along the way and yeah. everything became friends. But what what did that experience do for you, like personally, to your mindset, to your spirit? What did that what did that experience bring to you? You know, really, even more confidence, I would say, you know, I think you know, we all struggle with, you know, how we how we get through our lives. And um, for me, it really showed me that I can do 
anything I when I put my mind to it. And I think for me, it was also really important to show my kids that if this is something that you want to do, you can definitely do it. Even with six kids at home, I had someone say, you know, most moms are usually not um, selfish. And I was like, yeah, I was a little selfish there. I took this time for myself. But for me, it was really important for my kids to see that, you know, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Yeah. Um, don't you think people should be a little selfish? I mean, we do so much for our kids and we do, you know, I mean, uh, this is, it's 24-7, 365, more so for a mom than even for most dads. Don't you think you've earned the right to be a little selfish? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I, I don't, I didn't feel bad when someone said that to me. I was yeah. like, you should try it too. Like, <laughs> I think you would feel good about yourself. Like it's, you know, when you do something for yourself that really challenges you, you know, it impacts everybody around you. So yeah. that's yeah, great. It, yeah. All right. So, so let's talk, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the book, follow your own path, discover your own journey, the extraordinary, unordinary you. Um, what was your what was your inspiration for helping other people um, understand how really extraordinary they can be? You know, it really came from I was sitting in a women's empowerment luncheon and I was listening to this amazing speaker and and as I was listening to her, did I feel inspired? Yes. Did I feel motivated? Yes. And then I also felt a little bit bad about myself because I thought this will never be me, right? The whole goal of this is for these people to be inspiring us. And I'm thinking this will never be me. Like I'll never be able to accomplish that or I'll never, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that was the moment where I had that, you know, thought of this is exactly the point. This stuff doesn't matter. What matters is the things that you're doing. What what am I doing to impact the world around me? And so that kind of like begot, be, you know, I got the thought process of, you know, I'm, I'm going to write a book about like what, because again, for so many years, I didn't think I was inspirational until people kept saying to me, you're so inspirational. And so I thought, you know, let me, let me put it out there because I'm just an ordinary girl. I'm a mom of six, mm. right? But if what I'm doing in my daily life is inspiring the people around me, the things that everybody is doing in their daily life inspires the people around them and to make them see that and to see how valuable, you know, when they choose to do good things and to, you know, even the, like the little things, you know, like saying hi to your neighbor, you know, the, the awkward silence in an elevator. I never have awkward silence because I'm constantly talking. Um, but I think those things are so important to realize that they, they are very powerful moments. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think you, that be probably, you probably hit up on the wrong motivational speaker because you're, I mean, first of all, six kids that in and of itself makes you extraordinary. Talk about the, uh, talk about adoption and why, why you decided to adopt. And then that whole process explain to, to me and to, to the folks who are, who are with us today, Explain what um, what went into that. So we um, we already had three children, and we had talked about adoption for a long time, um, and we said, okay, this is it. this is the time to do it, you know. And there there are just so many amazing kids in the world um, that just need a family to love them, and you know, we knew we could be that that family, and so. Our first adoption, we adopted our son Noah from South Korea. He was four months old at the time, so baby, baby. Um, and, you know, the process was, you know, it's tough. It's th the whole thing. You have to think that, you know, these kids 
um, start at a place of loss, right? They've mm -hmm. lost everything, and then we're trying to, you know, build something back up for them. But we had we didn't have enough chaos. We said, okay, four kids, let's uh, let's do this again. And then we looked at um, other options for us. My husband, when we adopted Noah, he was 43. And at the time for South Korea, the older oldest parent couldn't be older than 43 years old. Mm. So we couldn't go back to South Korea. So we fell in love with Ethiopia. And so we adopted Ari from Ethiopia. He was four and a half years old. And, you know, he, again, talking about loss for him, like he remembers things mm -hmm. like, you know, um, but just the sweetest kid, you know, again, you have to think, you know, he grew up in a mud hut, um, no electricity, no running water. So just that experience of coming home and, you know, you're learning a whole, a whole new life. Um, but he was, and still is, he's just is such a kind, kind heart. Um, even with everything he's been through, he just is such a good kid. And we said when we were actually at the, um, at, at the orphanage in Ethiopia, we had our um, daughters with us, our oldest daughter and our middle daughter, and they didn't want to leave. They um, were out there holding the babies and the toddlers. They cried when we, we left and we said, you know what, we'll be back one more time. And so we applied to adopt an older boy again, and surprise, uh, we got a referral for Millie, who um, was two and a half years old at the time. Mm. And, um, you know, she she had been through a lot. She had Kwashiorkor, the protein deficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and she had uh, rickets, ringworm all over her scalp. She had Giardia. Um, it was a long it was a long process to, you know, to get her healthy. But, you know, kids are so resilient. resilient she's yeah. now she's 13 years old now. Um, but you know, our kids are, if you would ask them today, they would say adopt again. They would, they're just, you know, we had, um, one of the things we did where we actually voted as a family we did a blind vote each time and the vote had to be unanimous because it's not just my husband and I raising these kids. It's takes a village, especially when you sure. have this many kids. Sure. And so for the last, um, for when we adopted Millie, um, Olivia, I forget how old she was at the time, but she, we, you know, I gave them pieces of paper to write their vote on and she didn't hesitate. She wrote her vote. She pushed it over to me. And, and of course it was yes. And I said, you didn't hesitate. And she said, mom, we're talking about the life of another child. How could anyone vote? No. Mm. So what a great kid. Yeah. I got some good kids. All of them are pretty amazing. So what are, what are the age ranges? From 13 to 24. Now they're 13 now. to 24. Yeah. yeah. And how, how old, when you when you adopted Millie, how old was everybody else? So um, Jacob was 13. So 13 down. I would have to do a lot of math calculations but that's right you, now. That's, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But that's very, my point <laughs> is that's, you know, those are, those are formative years for mm -hmm. parenting and for being a kid. So how do you, how did you at that time manage uh, everything? I mean, just getting everybody with clothes that match has got to be a challenge, right? So how do you, like getting them out the door for school, you got to be exhausted by nine o'clock, you're shot. Like, how do you yeah. do it? You just do it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we, um, and again, the, the kids all helped out with everything. 
you know, there were days that they didn't match or that we forgot shoes and had to go to Target and get a new <laughs> pair of shoes because, you know, the, the school was, you know, 30 minutes away from the house. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like nothing's ever perfect. That's not reality, right? Yeah. Like you have these tough moments. I think the hardest thing was, you know, the, the sleep schedules, right? Because, you know, especially for Millie, she had to be on top of me like she so we started we did this progression of she slept in the bed on top of me then she slept next to me then she slept in a playpen next to the bed then we moved the playpen up into her sister's room and now she's a great sleeper in her own room yeah um but you know it it takes all of these things take a long you know a long time to to get to where you know they kind of nothing ever functions by itself either you still have to go do everything but um you know, we just kind of, we just kind of did like we, I think our expectations were that it's not going to be easy. And, but this is exactly the life that, that we want and, you know, worked out great. So. Sure. Sure. No, no, no. Uh, and you know, God bless you for doing that because you've changed the lives of those kids. I'm sure they've changed your life too favorably. Let me, let me ask you, you know, something that's sensitive, but that I know people are thinking I mean, this is not just a commitment of your time and an emotional commitment. It's also a massive financial commitment. So did you, how did, how did you, how did you and your husband prepare for that aspect of it? I mean, what, what you must have, are you, you know, are you independently wealthy? Do you have a good business? Like, how do you prepare for the financial commitment? Like I have two kids and I can't imagine tripling that. So how do you prepare for it even from a financial perspective? Yeah, I mean, trust me, I don't know if you ever can really prepare for what you need with children. Um, we did have a conversation for the last adoption, and we said that, okay, this kind of takes the private school, um, private colleges out of the equation. Not that we followed through on that, but they're good at getting scholarships, so that's good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that, yes, my, my husband's a physician, and this is what we committed to doing. So, you know, we taking care of the kids is kind of the most Im important thing for us. So we'd rather spend our money on, you know, their education and, you know, really making them into good humans because there's no better impact that we can live on, leave, you know, in this world than having them, you know, move forward with the next generation and really, you know, again, we have a multicultural family, right? So um, beyond just, you know, how we do things on a daily basis. We're black, white, Asian, and we're Jewish. So we have, you know. Um, you got it covered. And yeah. No matter yeah. what happens, you're set. Yeah. So, you know, um, but yeah, it's not, it's not, the financial part is, is not easy. And you can only plan so much, right? So like our son, Noah, who's from South Korea, he has autism spectrum disorder and he's highly functioning, but he still needs, you know, therapy and, you know, there's so there's a lot involved with that. And then Ari has dyslexia. So um, we have, you know, sometimes needing tutors for some of his subjects. Um, sure. So there's always the unexpected, but the reward is is much greater than the actual cost. So we just kind of we just kind of go through it. Um, yeah, no, it's fantastic. OK, so how do we um, how do we help people? find what it is that you found in your ability to, you know, you're, you're going to have extraordinary influence over the lives of your kids and now the lives of the people that you touch through your speaking, through your book, through interviews like this. How do we help other people find this, you know, this quality that, um, that makes them extraordinary? 
you know, for, for me, it was really to stop labeling, to stop comparing myself to others. I think so much of our lives, that's what we focus on. And it might sound cliche, but it is so true. You know, we, everything that we see, especially now that, that when we're stuck at home, you know, we see everything that's happening, whether it's on TV or, you know, social media, um, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It matters what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So, and as long as you're move, moving forward, you know, in a positive way, you know, I, for a long time, I would say, you know, I'm just a mom. I'm just a stay-at-home wife. I'm just, you know, and I'm not just, I am a mom. I, you know, I am, you know, a wife. I've been married to my husband for 27 years. Like that's an accomplishment in itself. Oh, you um, yeah. <laughs> um, but really changing my mindset in, in that I'm not just anything, I am. And I think that was a really powerful thing for me. I, you know, again, it's, it's looking at yourself and realizing what you're capable of and, and not putting limits saying that I can't do that because uh, a big saying in our house is can't means won't. Can't means won't. And so, you know, I think that's what worked for me. And it sounds really simple, but it's really true. I stopped comparing myself to others and I, I started looking at what I was capable of and really the positive things that, that I'm doing that are affecting the people around me. So the camp means won't really, it's empowering in that you realize that you're making a choice not to do something. When you're saying the word can't, you're making a conscious choice not to even try, right? Is that, is Abs that what that's Absolutely, about? yeah. And, you know, so you, you, you can't say can't in our house. That's great. That's <laughs> yeah. terrific. Okay. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about um, give it give us give us some of the you know some of the really um, some of the laugh out loud some of the really funny mm. things that have happened over the years with with you either you know with the kids or you know on your on your way up the mountain what was what are some of the you know some of the lighthearted moments so um, I'll tell one story okay that um, so my son, and this is not the funny part of the story. <laughs> let me let me say that from the beginning. Okay. Um, I was actually leading a um, a mission trip in in Israel, and I get a call from my husband um, that Noah, who was our son from South Korea, um, Noah just got bit by a poisonous snake. They're getting him in an ambulance. He was at summer camp. Um, they're getting him in an ambulance, and um, I have to go because I'm going to fly to Atlanta to to figure out what's what's going on. And so he's like, I was like more information and he's like no uh call the camp i ha i really i'm going to get on this next flight so sure enough you know long story ensues where he it turned out to be a poisonous snake they had to take the ambulance and stop at a, a small airport a helicopter picked him up and they life flighted him to you know a children's hospital wow. in atlanta okay um Okay, so he did fine. Three nights in the ICU, tons of anti-venom. He did well. So they came back from, and I came back, and I couldn't get out of Israel. Like, there was no direct flight. And so um, I met them at the airport on the way back. We went home. The next morning, we scheduled him with a physical therapist because he couldn't move his arm. So we go to get in the car, and I look back at him to ask him if he's buckled. And he's like, I'm trying. And I'm like, why is there popcorn all over the seat? Like, I know I cleaned the car before I left. So we're backing out. And I look back again. I was like, oh, that is not popcorn. I was like, get out of the car. And he's like, what? I'm like, get out of the car. Turns out we had um, a rat or two or three, not sure, got in through the engine block, uh, chewed on basically every seat in the van. 
um, you know, yes, it was disgusting. And um, our van ended up being totaled because oh I and totaled from rats eating our seats. Oh. And you got to think like it's a minivan for six kids. Like it was like a feast, I'm sure. Right. Oh my so, God. yeah. And so like it was like, again, one of those commercials where, um, you know, the guy said, I've been doing this for 20 something years and I've had rats get into people's cars, but I've never had to total a car because a rat ate your seats. I was like, well, good. Check that off my list, you know, bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, it's never ending. There is always some kind of excitement, always some kind of ridiculous story. Um, but that's what makes life exciting. Yeah, that's great. So what's, what's next for you? What's the, you, you know, you've, you, you're, you know, you've adopted children, you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. What is next for you? What can you possibly do that's going to give you the next, you know, jolt of inspiration in your life? What's next for you? You know, I think that what I'm doing right now, you know, it took me, I'm 48 years old. It took me this long to realize really what I felt like my purpose should be, right? Or really how I felt like I could best impact the world. Um, you know, speaking, I love I love talking to people. I love sharing my my stories because I feel that if I can impact one person that they look at themselves diff differently or they look at a family differently or the world differently, then I've really done my job. So that's really what I'm focusing on right now is just kind of trying to get my message out there and and being the best advocate I can for my children and my family. And that's me. Well, that's wonderful. Well, we're we're extremely grateful that you've taken the time to join us today and your story is one of inspiration and i hope that you know we've touched at least a couple of people in our audience with just the the good work that you've done over the years and your ability to inspire people to realize that they are truly they truly have the potential to be extraordinary so simone <clears throat> excuse me simone thank you so much for joining us today That'll do it for another edition of the Inside BS Show. We hope that you enjoyed our journey up Mount Kilimanjaro with Simone. Join us right back here again tomorrow for another edition of the show where we help you get inside the BS that's taking place every day in your business and in life. We share the insider business secrets and share all kinds of inside business strategy with you. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life. <laughs>